Man, what a great song. Uh, when I was in college, that was known as the camp song because that's where we learned it. We were at uh, Chi Hall one year for a uh, group of college students who had gotten together and uh, that was a new song back in the um, early 90s and uh, we began to uh, sing that together and it just became known as the camp song and every time that I hear it I think about um, times gone by. Isn't it amazing how songs have that effect on us? How that you can be driving down the road and, and hear something and it take you back to another place, another time. You can be sitting here or in an assembly like this and we begin to sing a song together and, and all of a sudden you've got grandma and grandpa sitting beside you. It's, it's a wonderful thing the way that God, that God has given us the ability to be moved so much by, by music. Derek, thanks so much for for leading us and for the guys and gals who help out with that. We greatly appreciate it. Hope that everybody got their Zyrtec as they came in today. We tried to pass that out with the glory, praise, and honor. If you did not get your antihistamine, just go to the Connect Center. Well, that is your free gift today. That's your free gift uh, to keep everybody from uh, sneezing, all the um, nose running, eyes watering, everything. Uh, thank for the rain that came through last night, able to get rid of some of that. But man, it's a difficult time of year right now. So if you have to um, sneeze, if you have to um, uh, deal with all of that, we all feel your pain around you. So go ahead, just don't sneeze on your neighbor, please. Or if you do, just say God bless you afterwards. You do it. You say God bless you and it'll be, it'll be fine. You know, the last few weeks we've spent time shining a light on our hidden and unspoken feelings about who God is. We discovered that, that God is patient with our doubts, and that's a really good thing because it is our doubts, not our declarations, that reveal what we really believe about, about God. We declare that God is good to pain and injustice on our daily news feed, and we wonder, is he really? faithfulness. We wonder if, if God is, if God is there in the midst of all the change, all the changes, in the midst of all the things that go on in our lives. We have the sting of betrayal and we wonder, is there anything that remains secure? Is there anything that remains constant? We say God's faithful, but then we wonder. The circumstances of our life cause our mind to whisper to our heart, is God really out there? And if he is, does he, care, does he care about me? You see, the answer to these and other questions that we have about God are extremely important. And it's by A.W. Tozer said that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. But let's be honest. We rarely feel safe enough to voice our doubts within our Christian community. We don't want to shock anyone. We don't want to rock the boat. We, we don't want to be that guy. We don't want to be that lady. And we certainly don't want to be labeled or judged. So what do we do? We file into our gatherings just like this and we keep our questions and our doubts to ourselves. So I thought, why don't we just pull the curtain back? Why don't we just give voice to these doubts so that we can step away from the duplicitous existence that currently terrifies us? Why don't we just 
talk about the concerns that we have as to whether or not God is good, whether or not God is faithful, whether or not God is actually long-suffering. We can actually talk about these things. And what better place to talk about them than within the Christian community, within the community of God, where we say, yes, God is good and, and God is faithful and, and praise God that he is patient with us. Today I want to address another one of the key attributes about God, but first I need to shine the spotlight on us. Husband and wife were standing in a long curving line that led to the gates of heaven. They were awaiting their final judgment. And the woman leans over to her husband and she puts her hands up and she whispers, for heaven's sakes, Harold, don't ask for what you have coming. Scripture declares that there's a truth. Scripture declares an eternal truth that everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's standard. There is something coming, but we don't want to ask for it. Because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to their own way. And unlike with what pop culture tries to tell us and make us believe that we're all good, we're really not. And I know that some of you, that's all you've heard all your life about how good you are and how great you are. And how excited everybody is to have you as their friend and to know you because you are wonderful. But because we've been told over and over by society that, that whatever we want to do and however we want to live is all up to us and our own creativity, we no longer see our need for God. And we no longer see others in need. Good thing for us that Jesus addressed this very issue. He said, a guy's going down the road minding his own business. He gets mugged. He gets left in a ditch. Someone has to act. Someone has to do something. Well, lucky for the guy in the ditch, two guys come walking along. One is a priest. The other is a temple worker. And they know the rules. They know that you cannot touch a dead body within their culture, within their religious society. And they kept the rules Fearing that if they get involved, they too might become somehow tainted. They too might fall into the same trap as this man had. So they keep walking. Then comes the man from Samaria. Now as Jesus tells this story, everyone listening knows the difference between the Samaritan and the priest and Levi. Everyone knows who the good guys are in this story. Everyone knows who the bad guy is, at least so they think. But the Samaritan defies all expectations because he actually stops and helps the man that's in the ditch. He touches the man's wounds. He cleans and bandages him and carries him to safety. He, he pays an innkeeper to take care of the man and nurse him back to health. It's a story that's obviously about mercy. The despised outsider shows mercy to the stranger who was hurt and alone and, and left in the ditch to die. And Jesus ends the story like this. Go. Do likewise. Meaning what? That I'm to show mercy? Or maybe that I am to receive mercy? Let's back up just a minute. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where we have this story recorded in Scripture for us. And Jesus says, 
that he's going to tell this story based upon a question, as he often did when it came to his parables. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? The question was common. It was a way to assess exactly what kind of teacher Jesus was. What does a person have to do to be a part of the rule of God that is to come? That's what the man is asking. Well, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Jesus has a conversation with the man. Doesn't just try to tell him what the answer is, but wants to engage him in thought. The man answers, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The man understood. The man knew the answer. You love God, you love others. Right, Jesus told them. Do this, and you will live. But the man wanted a little bit more of interpretation. He wanted to justify his actions, the text says. So he asked, well, who exactly is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells the story then about the man who is on his way, falls under among thieves, gets mugged, put in a ditch, left to die, two men pass by, and then the Samaritan comes and takes care of him. He tells this story, and then he ends it in a remarkable way. In verse 36, he says, Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And the man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Now did you catch that? Did you catch who the neighbor was in this story? The neighbor is the one who had mercy on the man. The expert is a professional disciple of the law. He is trying to test Jesus. He practices the way of Abraham and Moses. He is convinced of his own goodness. He believes that he can do things to inherit eternal life, to be a part of the rule of God. And if I am to love my neighbor, then just show me who my neighbor is and let me go and let me at him because I will then go and, and love him and I'll practice, I'll practice my religion on him. But Jesus turns everything upside down and he defines the man's neighbor as the one who loves him. The one who has mercy on him. The one who pulls the man up out of the ditch. And then he says, go and do likewise. Go and discover how desperate and how naked and left for dead you really are. Go and discover that there is no way to justify yourself. Go and discover that you can't do a single thing to inherit eternal life. That unless someone takes mercy on you, say a patient and good and faithful God, who by choice draws near to you, binding your wounds with his pockets filled with money for the innkeeper, then you are as good as dead. My neighbor is not someone that I have mercy upon. It's someone who has mercy on me. Which means, according to Jesus, I'm the one in the ditch. I'm the one in the ditch. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Simple. Realize I'm in the ditch. 
realize that I need mercy as much as I need to give it. You know, the Bible tells the story of a God who is passionate about redeeming his people. And his actions are motivated not by his people's righteousness, not by his people's church attendance, not by his people's Bible reading, but by God's own mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul would say, it is because of God's great love for us, he is rich in mercy that he made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Peter would write and say, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us birth into a living hope. God is merciful. He rescued us when beaten, robbed, and left dying in the ditch. We were helpless, but we don't like to hear that. We like to think of ourselves as good, and we like to think of ourselves as righteous, and we like to think of ourselves whom God is dependent upon. And Jesus says, have you ever thought for a moment that you're the one in the ditch? That you're the one who's in need? Oh, but like the man questioning Jesus, I want to skip mercy 101 and I want to move right on into mercy 102. And yet before I can give mercy, I have to be willing to receive mercy. Makes sense, doesn't it? That if I don't recognize my own need for mercy, I will inevitably be unmerciful to other people. I will press, pass by on the other side. I will not focus on what is going on in their life. Because, well, they might need mercy, but I don't. And I don't understand why it is that they are in the ditch. Why in the world are they in this situation that they are in? Oh, I make my judgments and I come to my own conclusions. And I decide I know exactly why they're struggling with their sin. But me, I'm not nearly as much in need of mercy as you are. You see, I think we lost mercy's value when we started thinking of ourselves as good people. When we started thinking of ourselves as good people and saying that mercy is just for criminals, mercy is for beggars, mercy is for the morally bankrupt, mercy is for people in the ditch. But mercy is not for me. In Ephesians chapter 2, there are verses 4 and 5 that I alluded to earlier. Paul dictated a theological truth. He said, because of God's great love for us, he is rich in mercy and he made us alive with Christ. Paul says, God is merciful. You can write it down, you can underline it, you can put an exclamation point around it. God is merciful, he says. He has given us mercy. He has made us alive with Christ. But fast forward a few years and Paul changes his tone. He's older. He's tattooed with scars. He writes to his protege Timothy and he says this. He says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me. As a young man, Paul sees 
God's mercy as universal. In his later years, God's mercy is personal. Paul says, I'm the one who was left for dead. I'm the one in the ditch. But God is merciful to me. God is merciful to me. And boy, am I thankful for that. The prophet Micah asked what God required of us, and then he answered three things. You might remember this from Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He says that we are to act justly, love mercy, and, and walk humbly with our God. What the prophet does not say explicitly, I've had to learn. And that is that my love for mercy grows naturally out of my pursuit for justice and my walk side by side with God. Because my attempt to do right and my attempts to walk humbly reveal my nakedness. It reveals how needy I actually am. Because the more I try to love God and share His grace, the more I realize that I am the one that's in need of rescue. Have you seen that before in your own life? You strive to put God first. You strive to have Him be everything in your life. And yet the things that you want to say, you don't say. The things you don't want to say, those are the very things you end up saying. The life that you know you should live is not the life that you're currently living now. You try to love God, you try to share His grace, but more and more you recognize your own need. And the thing is, the more I recognize my need for rescue, the more that my eyes are on the lookout for others who are in need of rescuing. It's amazing how God works it that way. That as my eyes become open to my own need, I am able to see your need even clearer. Because I realize that, well, you're in the ditch right beside me. We're sharing the same neighborhood. We occupy the same ground. Which brings us back to our story. I don't have this on your glory, praise, and honor, but I'd love if you would write it down. We need to start seeing others through mercy's lens. We need to see each other through mercy's lens. Because this story, this text, tells us that it's possible to major in the Bible but fail the exam. Because whenever you view people in such a way that you get to write them out of God's story, then you have missed the way that you were supposed to read the Bible. As Jesus is telling this story, he talks about the man who falls among thieves, left, lying there in the ditch, and the people listening on, uh-huh, shouldn't have been on that road in the first place. Everybody knows he shouldn't have been going there. Everybody knows that that is a dangerous place to be traveling. Probably went out at night. Nothing good ever happens after midnight. Remember when your grandmother used to tell you that? Nothing good ever happens after midnight. That's why you need to be in. I mean, surely this man knew that. But there he is in the ditch. Oh, and the good guys, the, the priest, the, the rabbi, there they go. They go by on the other side, of course, because that's what they're supposed to do. And oh, a Samaritan is in the story. Surely God is going to bring down fire on him. Those listening to the story for the first time, they knew who were in and they knew who were out. And they missed how God wanted them to live their lives. You see, in Jesus' story, he said that the man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and that he fell into the hands of robbers. 
Now the wording there in the original language that is translated for us fell into is a word that means to happen upon unexpectedly. Jesus says the man did not expect to be robbed. He didn't expect to end up in the ditch. He didn't get up that day and say, you know what? I think I'm just going to go out and I'm just going to say, I got the money. Woo, let it rain. He said it happened unexpectedly. It wasn't a part of his plan that day. You see, understanding my own need for mercy allows me to be more patient and empathetic with others who are around me. I don't know how the person standing by the stop sign ended up homeless. And I need to stop forming my own judgments on that. I don't know what event or events led the woman downtown into a life of prostitution. And shame on me for thinking that I do. I don't know why you can't break free of the addictions that you have. Or why you love who it is that you love. I don't know why you wandered off like a lost sheep. But what I do know is that none of us intended to end up in life's ditch. Cast aside and forgotten. Nobody woke up this morning and said, I think I'm going to go and break all the commandments. Nobody woke up this morning and said, you know what? I, I think I'm just going to go out and see how far away from God I can live. Oh, we make our own choices. And there are oftentimes others who make choices for us. But the man didn't plan on being robbed. He didn't plan on ending up in the ditch. And neither did I. And neither did you. That I know. And I also know this. That the faithful love of the Lord never ends. And his mercies begin afresh each morning. Each morning we wake up to find that someone cared enough to come to us. Unafraid to touch our pain. Willing to bind up our wounds and carry us to safety. Continuing to look after our well-being. Why does God treat us this way? It's not because of the righteous things we have done. We're the ones in the ditch. But scripture says it's because of his mercy. So, go and do likewise. By all means, draw near, touch, and be touched by another's pain. Bandage up someone else's wounds. Carry them to safety. Continue to be involved in their life. But first, why not allow the suspicious stranger, the one who you have doubts about, the one whose motives you have questioned, why don't you allow him to draw near to you this morning? Allow him to touch your pain. Allow him to bind up the wounds of your soul. Allow him to carry you to a place of rest and healing. Why not this morning admit that you're in life's ditch? 
and need to be rescued. Admit your imperfection, your struggle, and your sin. And allow the wonderful, merciful Savior of God to lift you up. If you need to come before this family, if you need to run to a merciful God, would you do so as together we stand and give him praise?